Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Associate Pastor Ron King continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. The book of Luke reminds us that Jesus came to save people from their sins. We are wholly wrong and wretched, but no one is beyond Jesus' saving grace. If you've been a Christian for a while, there's a particularly poignant reminder that Jesus also saves us from our own self-righteousness. After the message and throughout the week, read the book of Luke. Also, check out nwhills.com slash hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. One of the great privileges that I've had over the years is to help out to help out with weddings. Now, I've told people before that sometimes funerals are a lot easier to do because people are right there ready for the moment, you know, and you can really make clear things. People are thinking about mortality. And at a wedding, the bride expects perfection. And if the pastor blows it, you know, that's really seriously bad news. But one of my favorite weddings to do of all time was um, in one of my favorite places in the world, and that's in Yosemite. And um, so there's this couple that had uh, John and Minnie who had got to know each other, and they um, connected on a bunch of dates through the seasons in Yosemite. And you're seeing some of the pictures. There's a little chapel there in the valley. Some of you know it. And we did the wedding there, and it was just really like a totally scenic environment. And the thing about Yosemite and the seasons in Yosemite, they, they took pictures, by the way, in the same place in five different locations, six different locations every season. And so you could see all these seasons and how it changes, which is spectacular. And it reminded me a lot of the Gospels. Like there's a, a piece of the Gospels that's told in these stories. That is that the, the writers of the Gospels, through their different personalities and their bents, they witnessed the events and they saw what was happening and they got testimony about what happened and their perspectives were all a little bit different, right? Because of their personalities and how they viewed it. And that's a little bit about how we see the gospel. So Matthew is a little bit different than Mark, is a little bit different than Luke, is a little bit different than John. And they all are emphasizing the same wonderful picture of Jesus and giving us kind of a, a fuller perspective of who he is. That's the gospel story. And this morning, we get the great opportunity to dive into the book of Luke. And all week long, you get the opportunity to read Luke, which is a great book. And you could totally do it because I read it again this morning. So you can do this this week. And not only that, um, you get to discuss in your community groups. And if you have not had an opportunity to join a community group, there's instructions right out there. We'll connect you to one. There's a lot of great community groups that we have that dive deeper every week. Plus, you get a bunch of great food. So I'm going to invite you to connect to one of the community groups and to dive into Luke this morning. And because of who Luke is, now he is a doctor and he is a scholar and he is committed. We find out at the very beginning of the book that he has interviewed a bunch of people and he's going to figure out how the best way he can tell the whole story of the movement of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to bring this message of salvation to the whole world. And he's going to document that from the very beginning to the very end. And the interesting thing about Luke is that Luke is a two-volume set of one book. 
It's Luke, that's volume one, and Acts, that's volume two. So this morning, we're just in volume one of the book that Luke writes. He writes it somewhere probably in the early 60s as he's connected with Paul, who is in prison in Rome. So that's the setting a little bit, and Luke is committed to write down this message that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit bring to us, a message of forgiveness and wholeness and rescue in our lives. And because Luke is filled with parables, I thought I'd invent one of my own just to help you get the feel of what the book is about. So there's these two boys who had heard from their parents like all their lives, like don't go on this one river because the river is super dangerous. We don't want you doing it. But of course they're boys, right? And they think about the adventure of the moment. So they take their inner tubes to the river, you know, and they go down and it's a sunny day and the water is cool. They can't resist it. They jump in their inner tubes, even though there are signs on the shore that say danger, warning, you know, all kinds of things but they think, you know what, we can do this. So they start to float down the river and the river starts to pick up speed and there's more signs warning them to get out, not to go down the river. And they keep going, the river gets faster and faster. They kind of hear a little roar in front of them. And there's a family that's outside on the shore. They see these two boys, these two knuckleheads that are going down the river and they start yelling a little frantically, like, get out of the water, let's go. And the boys are like, eh, Ah, now we got this. And then they find themselves in the middle of rapids that are unmanageable. It throws them off their tubes. They're banging against the rocks and their lives are seriously in danger. And a hiker sees them and he comes running over and he grabs and rescues the two boys and they're waterlogged. They're got, you know, their, their lungs are filled with water. They both thought that they were right on the edge of not making it. He drags them to shore One boy spews out water and he's like, man, I was such an idiot. I was such a fool. I'll never do that again. Thank you so much for rescuing me. The other boy coughs up water and he goes, let's do it again. He grabs his tube and jumps back in the water. And he starts going down the river again. More signs warning them of waterfalls. Dangerous waterfalls. Your life is in danger. No one's ever made it through these falls before. And the boy thinks, yeah, but I could be the first one. And he keeps going. More people are screaming and yelling at him, and he ignores them. He gets close to the falls. And before the falls that he hears, rumbling, thundering, he sees his father, who has gone out to the middle of the river, clinging onto a rock, holding out his hand to the boy. And the boy hesitates to grab hold of his father's hand. So the father plunges in and shoves the inner tube aside to the shore, slips. And the father goes over the falls. Luke tells the story of what happens to us when we continue to push away and what the father does at cost to himself for us to experience the rescue of God. From start to finish, the book of Luke gives us this theme, and it goes and continues throughout the book of Acts as well, that Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. 
it actually begins in chapter one. So Luke begins a story where other people don't begin the story, where God appears through angels to a man named Zechariah, who is a priest. And Zechariah and his wife do not have kids, and God blesses them with a child. It's John the Baptist. And when Zechariah discovers what God has done, he doesn't trust him, right? He's not a man fully of faith. And so God makes him shut up and not talk. And Zechariah has these months to stew on who God is and what he's done and nothing is impossible with God. And then Zechariah does this little jig. He sings a song. You'll find it in chapter one where he declares the salvation of God, that God alone is one to rescue him. In chapter two, you'll see a man named Simeon. And Simeon has been a priest. He's an old guy at this point. And Jesus is brought by Mary and Joseph to the temple to be dedicated. And he sees it. And he says, this is the salvation of God. He actually says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people. Because Luke's message is that God's salvation is for everyone, for the entire world. And he celebrates. Chapter 3, John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Savior, and he's the Savior of the world. Like Matthew, in the book of Luke, there are demonstrations throughout the book of how Luke sees that Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And like Mark, there's clear evidence of the power of Jesus and the wonder and awe that he brings when people see him bring healing. And like John we see demonstrations that Jesus himself is the only one who could save and rescue us. Of course, there's two big problems with that whole story, right? Of Jesus being the savior of the world. Here's the first problem. Most of us don't think we really need saving. You know what I'm saying? Most of us actually act like it. Now, us here at church, we would theologically say, oh no, I need salvation from sin and and I agree with this. And I agree with the symbol that I, I need rescue. I need to declare that in front of other people. And many of us have actually been baptized. But we live our lives from day to day without the deep, profound appreciation of the rescue of God that he has jumped in and saved us. Right? And there's another current in our world today. Josh mentioned it earlier a current of people that believe that it's actually other people that need saving, not me. You need saving from your political views. You need saving from your view of gender identity. You need saving from X, Y, and Z. They've got a long list. I've got a long list. I look around people and I think, yeah, they need to be saved, but I'm the one in the tube in the river. Scripture says that all of us have sinned. Think with me seriously. Do we really need saving? Hello. So what evidence is there in your life that you desperately long for a savior today? Ooh, right? Throughout the book, Luke is going to help us discover this, that everyone needs saving. And here's the great news. No one is beyond the compassion of of a savior. No one. Yet what was it that people really needed saving from? 
You're going to discover that as you read. You're going to come up with a list. I hope you do. As you read through the gospel, you're going to see a whole long list of things that people needed rescue from. And if you allow it, the Holy Spirit will speak into you and you'll be going, oh yeah, that's me. You'll see it reflected in your life. How many things that you need the rescue of God from. But let me just underscore three of them. The first one, you'll expect a person like me to say in an environment like this at church, that Jesus came to save people from their sin, from their brokenness and their separation from God. And I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read a story. Some of you are probably familiar with this story. It comes to us from Luke chapter four. You can open your phones there or like Andy, if you've got like a hardback, it's called a book. If you've got one of those, you can use one of those. So Luke chapter four in the beginning, in the middle of the chapter, starting at verse 17, going to verse 26. And at the end of it, I'll say, man, isn't God's word good? And you can say, thanks be to God. Or I'll say something like that. On one of those days, as he was teaching, that is Jesus teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed to the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Use your imagination. It's a fantastic picture, isn't it? What his friends would do for him. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Of course, there's so many great things in that story. We don't have time to fully unpack it. But what was truly mind-bending to people there witnessing the event is that Jesus claims that he has the authority and the power to, yeah, to, to save, to forgive sins. And not only that, the man doesn't even ask. And Jesus forgives him. Because Jesus always takes the initiative. We take credit for all this stuff in our spiritual life. I'm here to tell you, There is one Lord, one Savior, and he's done it all, and you haven't. So that's the story in here that uh, that Luke is unpacking to help people see. Of course, the religious leaders, they're scandalized. How can this man say that he can forgive sins? And how dare he claim that authority? And Jesus says, okay, what's easier? For me to say that, that I have the power and authority to forgive, what is easier? For God to forgive your sins or to 
or to raise a paralyzed man? The answer is to raise a paralyzed man. So Jesus says, okay, stand up, get up. And the man does, and everyone takes a big gasp to see it. That not only did Jesus have this power to heal, but to heal a person's soul and to forgive them of sin. At the end of Luke's volume one in Luke 24, Luke records Jesus after he had died on the cross and been buried and risen from the grave. He's opening the minds of followers. He walks them all the way through scripture. It's such a great story. And Luke alone records this on the road to Emmaus story. And, he's, and all of a sudden, things are dawning on them. They, they're listening to him, and they're understanding a bigger perspective. And Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled Everything that we just went through, right, in the Old Testament, most of us have been reading through the Bible this year. And by the way, if you're just new with us or you're just starting or you never started in September, it's okay. Start with Luke. It's a great place to start. So after all these things have been opening their minds to Scripture, he said to them, and thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. My plan has always been this, to be the savior of the world, of every person, regardless of ethnicity, of culture, of background, of wealth, regardless of any of it. He came to save every person. And the great offense to our sensibilities and pride. The scandal of the good news is this, that we are wholly, entirely wrong and wrecked. That's our position before a holy God. As Paul writes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, no one excluded, everyone needs rescue from the river. You're on that inner tube. If Jesus were not Jesus, full of compassion and intent on purpose, he would have said to the paralyzed man, hey, get up and walk. He would have never said anything about the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus would have been safe and amazing and thoroughly likable. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Because of our great need, that's our own stupid fault. Is that offensive? I just said that. I called you stupid, right? I included myself in that because that's the position of scripture. We jumped in the river and kept going on our way. And the, the truly crazy thing is we keep jumping back, don't we? I love that testimony, right? A little kid, he said, yeah, um, I'm not going to sin anymore. Or I'm going to try not to sin anymore, right? It's like, yeah, right, that That is great, but the problem is we're all wrecked and broken and we keep sinning. Even those of us that God has saved, that hear this, no one is beyond the saving of Jesus, past, present, and future tense. That's how Paul pictures salvation for us. That for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus and what he's done on the cross, we have been rescued, pulled out of that river. 
And we still need that. We are being saved, Paul says. And one day we will be past tense. Saved, rescued fully. That's our position. The Bible makes it crystal clear. All of us walked into this room a sinner in need of rescue. Some of us have experienced it. That's the demonstration of baptism. Some of us are experiencing it. And some of us right now at this very moment are headed for the falls. So I want to give you an opportunity. I'd be a fool not to because Luke keeps going back to this message. If you walked in here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did in history to come and to live a perfect life and to die on a cross and rise again on the third day. You've never said, I'm going to place my faith in you, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to surrender, as Joy said. I'm going to give it to you. If you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. So close your eyes. Give yourself privacy. For those of you who are believers, just start saying, God, I so thank you that you have rescued me. And for those of you who have never taken this step, I'm going to invite you to do it right now, just in your own words. Just tell the Lord, yeah, I'm broken. I'm wrecked. I've disobeyed you, and I want your forgiveness. Reach out to him. I believe he brought you here for a reason, that he's taken the initiative in your life. That's what scripture teaches us. And this is the moment for you to be saved. Just tell him, and he will make you his child. Confess your sin before him. We rejoice, Lord, in your salvation. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, in Luke's account, and he returns to this often, there's a particular sin that most of us wrestle with, struggle with, even today. And it's this, that Jesus came to save us from our self-righteousness. Jesus came to save us from our self-righteousness In Luke 18, Jesus tells this well-known parable. Here it is. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, that is the religious dude, Standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the sinner, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the self-righteous man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's an outrageous comparison, and it really ticked off a lot of people when Jesus told this parable because it was very obvious what he's saying, that our self-righteousness is not from God, and it offends him. And we will not find forgiveness there when we self-righteously assume that we are not self-righteous. We've got issues. 
Spiritual pride is so easy to see in other people, but not in ourselves, is it? And it's a common theme in humanity. It's a common theme, can I say it, even in our church, in my own personal life. Perhaps the most prevalent reason we don't live with a constant and deep appreciation for our Savior is this that we believe somehow, some way, we have righteousness of our own. And that's not the message of Luke. It's not the message of the good news. It's not the message of the Bible at all. We fail to measure ourselves against the holiness of God and get ourselves in deep weeds. When what God wants is a humble and repentant spirit, Luke is filled with that theme of repentance, just like the prophets that we've just been studying is filled with. Humble yourself. That's what God is looking for, a turning to him. In Luke 15, Jesus tells another great parable. It's a parable of that one sheep and the 99 other sheep. And the punchline of the parable is, so the shepherd goes out and rescues this one lost sheep. The punchline of the parable is there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here's the deal. Every sheep needed repentance, right? Every one of them. Have you thought about that? Like there were no saved sheep there except that the shepherd saved them and rescued them. And all of heaven rejoices when a person owns it. The salvation of the Lord who came to save the world. That's what heaven rejoices in. Isaiah had written it. All we like sheep had gone astray, every single picking one of us. If you're a longtime Christian, let me say something very significant to you. Your self-righteousness is a killer. Now I know I've offended everybody, right? My self-righteousness is a killer. It does not please the Lord. You aren't the natural born saint you believe you are. Even if you grew up in a Christian home and went to a Christian school, and if you serve in the nursery department, although God bless you if you do, man, that's so, that's so good, right? Without the righteousness of God, we're sunk We know this theologically and intellectually, many of us as Christians. But let me give you a test. When was the last time you cried out for the righteousness of Jesus? When did you last thank him for saving you? There's more to Luke in this And there's one other major theme I want to press into because he starts his book with this and all the way through the scriptures, it's filled with this. Luke's story in volume one and volume two as well, that Jesus came to save us from the evil one. Hey, I realize that in a highly materialistic and rationalistic culture that we live in, that this topic is openly mocked and thought of as antiquated and absurd. The prevailing thought disbelieves in the existence of real evil. Satan is reduced to fiction. It's a fairy tale. Is that true, though? I wonder when people get to that conclusion 
if they've ever really experienced the presence of true evil in the room or they've just been willfully ignorant of it. Just so we're clear, the position of the Bible on evil is very different from our culture. And throughout Luke's gospel, he keeps returning to this theme that there is a spiritual battle going on. He begins his story talking about angels announcing his savior. And then there's this power confrontation that happens throughout Luke's gospel with evil and with the power of God. In Luke 9, we find this account. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great, that is the mountain of transfiguration, where they've just seen the power of the glory of God. These, these three disciples had been able to see it in person. A great crowd met him, that is Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. Behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out and convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. And he will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father And all were astonished, listen to this, at the majesty of God. Um, Some commentators will write and go down this direction. Some people make the assumption that the boy's issue with epilepsy. Luke's a doctor. He sees right through that. He knows exactly what's going on, that it's another one of these confrontations between the evil one and his grasp on people And if you've ever been in different parts of the world and experienced it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There is evil here. Sometimes we reduce other arguments to other things and miss the power of what we're in the middle of. Jesus calls this boy over. While the boy is coming, the unclean spirit, notice the description, attacks this boy once again, seeking control of the situation. And Jesus steps in and conquers the power through his own power and proves his own kingship, that he is majestic. I love that description of him. We see true demonstrations of evil, like the repeated horrific shootings that we see in our culture and our day, and we can reduce that argument to gun rights and Second Amendment laws. Men and women... It's evil. That's what's going on. We see conflict in our world in Yemen and Sudan and Ukraine and across our world, and we think it's political conflict and greed and other factors. It's evil. It's the evil one destroying, and his agenda has always been to destroy. But the Savior of the world is Jesus, always has been, always will be, and is today. And he wins the spiritual battle. And it matters for us today because one of the great disservices we can do to our marriages, to our friendships, to our families, to our churches is to discount the real spiritual battle that we are in the thick of. Don't be afraid of it. 
is we have the power of the risen Savior on our side. We have, as Paul reminds us, spiritual armor to fight with. So man up and fight. Realize that you're in the middle of this fight. And the great news is that we can know the Savior of the world and his power can reside in us and we can experience this power, the power over sin, the power over our self-righteousness, and even the power over the evil one who is powerless in the presence of Jesus. So to help us apply this, all this great stuff, and the book of Luke that you get to read this week, isn't that going to be cool? Let me just give you a couple things to ponder, to think, to process, to pray with as we begin each day this week. I want to challenge you to begin your day this way. First, just start by saying, Lord, I really do need you to save me today from, and fill in the blank. Lord, and I need you to save me today from. And secondly, pray out, Jesus, I can't thank you enough for saving me. But let me start here. Let me just start here by thanking you. Tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to do that a lot together. This morning, I want to encourage you. Isn't it sweet to have a Savior who loves you so passionately and so faithfully and so well that he would jump in the river and he would shove you aside and give his life for you? Can I hear an amen to that? (laughs) It's sweet. It's so good. I just want to remind you again, live in deep appreciation of that. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonder of your salvation, your goodness, your grace. Uh, Let's just stand back as those who witnessed you firsthand in the book of Luke with amazement and wonder and gratitude at who you were, the Savior of the world, come to rescue us. We're just so grateful for you. And we recognize every day, every moment, we still need rescue. And you're so good at it. So thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.